Hello and welcome to this NLive's Open for Business podcast platform. My name is Adrian Price, the guy from the university, as I keep saying, with the perfect face for radio. And I host a show every Tuesday from 7 to 9 p.m. called Open for Business. Open for Business celebrates the very best of business in Northampton and Northamptonshire and brings together business, civic, charity and indeed academic leaders to talk about the business environment, to talk about initiatives and projects, especially where, they're, where they are all working together for the good of the community. So enjoy these extended interviews on this podcast. They're now set up as a standalone for you to savour and uh, to learn from some of the movers and shakers in the county. Enjoy. Well, this program, as my regular listeners will know, is all about, you know, open for business, business in the community, business doing good, perhaps over and above their core business. And there is this um, concept of common good. I'm sure we've all heard that phrase and a phrase I've used a lot, too, which is um, a collective impact and, and cross sector social partnerships. Now, all this sounds a bit, Adrian, this is a bit highfalutin. This is a bit uh, university and academic. You know, what does it mean for us? here in uh, Northampton and Northamptonshire. Well, to help explain that, we've got a um, wonderful guest now who's going to tell us a little bit about his career, uh, multifaceted career, and some of the campaigns that he's now working on, which talk exactly to how you know grassroots um, helping and supporting communities and the business environment the business is operating in. So it's a big welcome to John Nixon. John, you are a philanthropist, an activist, a campaigner, a fundraiser, an author. You've been many things in your life and still are. Welcome to the show. Thank um, you. This concept of the common good, let's start with that because I think that will set the scene for the rest of the, the, the chat. Well, I, I, I started to tune into the idea of the common good uh, because as a fundraiser, I work with philanthropists. These are people who have got more money than they need for themselves and are socially conscious uh, and want to give their money, money away uh, to benefit uh, the common good. Uh, I was talking to one of these bang in the middle of, of, of the austerity in around 2000 and 2014 after the crash in 2008. Uh, and he said to me, you know, we need a complete rethink. The word he used was template. We just need to think again how we in Britain tackle our societal and social uh, problems because it's perfectly obvious that this is beyond the capacity of the state and it's beyond the capacity of any one charity or any part of society or the economy. Uh, and we're all gonna have to get together to fix things. And that got me thinking, so I, I wrote a book called Our Common Good and it asked the question, if the state provides more, who will provide less? No, the other uh, round. If the state provides less, who will provide more? Sure. Correct. Okay. Uh, and so I went round all around the country uh, and I talked to people uh, in all parts of the country doing all sorts of things. And what I learned was amazing. And, uh, and, and, and that's how I've come up with a program for uh, called Our Common Good, which is how we at local level and all of us as individuals, this has nothing to do with being rich, although we want the rich to support it, but there's a role for everybody in this. Okay, well, that, that sounds a great start. Now, let's just go back a little bit in time. So your career, John, has been, what, primarily as a fundraiser, right? Yes. For big uh, charities over the years. Yeah, the last, uh, the last 25 years of, of my career as a paid person 
began in the late 1980s and ended when I allegedly retired uh, in 2011, when I became an OAP. And I was fundraising in that period for four national institutions, the last being uh, the Tate, the Tate Galleries, Tate Modern and all the various my fundraising career, but all that time, uh, Adrian, I was also a trustee of charities. Um, and although I was being employed to raise money for cultural institutions, actually my trusteeships and the charities I was involved with and was supporting were uh, about social issues and also very much about education and education for young people. Mm. So where's this um, social conscience come from, John? Uh, well, I think it's come from my background. Um, I had a privileged background in the north of uh, in the north of England, and my family were not noticeably uh, charitable. Uh, and I, and I got an uncomfortable feeling, you know, when I was an adolescent uh, and a young man, and I I came to London to university. That's sort of where it began, but it didn't really take off. Adrian, until I started these big fundraising jobs. And the people I learned from most of all were these uh, very, very wealthy, socially conscious people who wanted to do positive things with their money for the benefit of others. That was the most fantastic education. That's really what turned me on. Mm. Uh, and and when, I, when I allegedly retired and, uh, and wasn't uh, being paid to go to work anymore every day, uh, it gradually dawned on me because uh, being privileged and my parents by this time were no longer with us, I uh, had, had inherited and I had to think what I was going to do with my money. Okay, well, that's a very, um, you know, thank you for sharing that very honest and, and, and clear, um, what's the word, journey that you've been through. So we're seeing then in the last few years, we have apparently a very rich modern Britain, right? But we also have, a, a, I think, a large and growing underbelly of social problems and social issues that we really do need to address. Now, you're rightly saying the state over the last 10 years of austerity has provided less. So where is this, you know, where is this energy coming from? Is it coming from large corporates? Is it coming from very wealthy people? Is it coming from community front lines? What, where, where do the... Where's the hope for the future to address these social problems? Uh, well, from all those sectors, but let's just get a bit of uh, context and perspective. Charitable giving by individuals uh, has been stagnant at around 10 billion a year for the last 10, 15 or more years, according to the Charities Aid Foundation. And during that time, the top 1% have become unbelievably more wealthy. So this is a bit of a worry. And it's a worry that's shared by this very small number of extremely wealthy people who give their money away. Uh, something like 0.5%, that's a tiny number of an already small number of very rich people are giving their money away. So, um, they've been encouraging me to be a campaigner to get the message over what a difference it could make if more wealthy people and more of all of us uh, were able to give. That's one point. The second point is regarding corporates and business. You know, sometimes it's easy to forget, isn't it, that if we wind back the clock to the 19th century, in the beginning of the Industrial uh, Revolution in Victorian times, 
If you think about big companies like Cadbury's, which is a name we all know, uh, and the Leverhooms who made soap up in the Northwest of England, they were in amazingly philanthropic in terms of their workforce. They provided social housing uh, and so on. Uh, I think there's a growing re realization now amongst business that they are a part of society. That realization has, I think, been partly been fueled by uh, the demands of the people, businesses that are now employing, you know, the millennials, those, those people who generation, that generation who are age 35 and younger, who are now uh, getting more senior in their jobs, and they have a view of what uh, life should be like and what society should be like, which is beginning to influence how companies uh, think. Uh, the other factor which is compelling everybody to, to start to pay attention to this is our circumstances, because it was clear before the big crash in 2008 that the younger generations were not going to be as wealthy as their parents and their grandchildren. We, we tend to think uh, this is something we learned following the crash in 2008, that something was going on, and we're now much more aware of it, and we're worried about uh, our young people and uh, their, uh, what jobs they're going to be able to get, and crucially, uh, are they going to be able to afford, not, not even to buy, to pay rent? So there are big social issues and of course, COVID came along and shone a light on all this. And it's been, you know, COVID has been the most amazing stress test for our society. And I think that um, businesses are, is becoming increasingly aware of its social responsibilities and an understanding that this is actually in the interests of their business and their employees and their communities. Uh, philanthropists uh, are beginning to work out how they can become involved in sorting out these problems in terms of uh, investing a very early stage in trying to test out uh, what might work and what might, might not work in terms of solving social problems by working and bringing together charities, business companies, local authorities to try and focus on specific problems, whether it's young people, whether it's social isolation, uh, so um, I think, although these are worrying times, I think there's a great deal of potential, we should be positive, a great deal of potential for fixing things in new ways. Well, I certainly hope so. And you know, I've had a very strong message over the months from guests on this show that COVID has possibly um, accelerated this. We've seen more compassion, we've seen more collaboration from you know, business people. Is that your view too, that we're at a really strong point of inflection? Uh, we have a moment here in history to grab once and for all corporate social responsibility? Yes, I do. Um, uh, I know uh, you want me to focus on corporate social responsibility, uh, but we have seen a fantastic response to COVID appeals, but we've also seen the most fantastic response from the general public, either in terms of the amounts of money that have been raised but this is significant because I'd like to illustrate in a moment, these things come together. Mm -hmm. Volunteering, the volunteering effort has been amazing. Do you remember nearly a million people volunteer, uh, they said they wanted to volunteer for the NHS. I had my second jab this week. Uh, the whole thing was uh, 
was uh, organized and supported by volunteers who played an absolutely crucial role. Mm. But business, yes, yes, there are big opportunities here. So is this, in terms of business and its resources or the business owners and their resources, you know, are we talking about sort of um, giving the money away? Now, Bill Gates is giving a lot of money away. He's set up a movement, hasn't he, for other rich people to give their money away. But Bill Gates follows the money. He doesn't just give it away. He wants to make sure it goes to the cause and it actually has impact. So this and this whole space of impact investing, I mean, there seems to be an awareness, a lot of tools. The Financial Times is on this case. The World Business newspaper is on this case. So, you know, all of those things, they're all part of the mix, I guess. Yes, impact well, investing well, and donations. You, you've hit upon the fundamental point is focus. I mean, somebody like Bill Gates, almost the richest man in the world now, He's in a different league and he's decided he's going to fix malaria or whatever it is. But uh, let's let's drill down now and get and look at uh, business in a local setting. Uh, one of the things when I wrote my book, Our Common Good, uh, and I, I, I discovered this wonderful charity called Onside Youth Zones. This was a small local community response in Bolton in the northwest of England where they were concerned as youth services were being cut, how to support their young people. Uh, and they came up with a model uh, so that what started in Bolton and then started to spread across the North of England is now uh, a national charity, which is supporting uh, young people up to the age, I think it is of 2021. 20, uh, it, it's a public private partnership it, it, it was started off as a philanthropic initiative by which I mean the chair of what was called the Bolton uh, Lads and Girls Club uh, was a philanthropist who made his money uh, in the food services industry uh, and, and, and his money made that possible. But the model, which is now being replicated across the country, 17, including some in London, across the country with over more than 50,000 young members, um, is pioneering uh, because uh, it's designed to reflect every part of the community, including business. Uh, and it's a, it's a pioneering public-private partnership because the public sector, by which I mean the local authority, buys into a charitable objective on the charity's terms. Mm. And uh, so how does this work? 40% uh, of the running costs of, of a youth zone, which is, which is a, a very superior youth club, 40% is coming from the local authority. Uh, the running costs are about a million a year. 50% is coming from the local community and the private sector. That is private individuals, but also local businesses. And the experience of youth zones across the country is that they are persuading businesses who've never supported community issues, they're doing this for the first time. And why are they doing it? Because uh, this charity, which has now been going uh, for more than 10 years, has demonstrated the most fantastic uh, social impact. The, uh, the founding chair of Youth Zones went to see George Osborne when he was Chancellor of the Exchequer. Uh, and the result was the, tre the treasury guys went in and did all their measuring of social uh, impact. Uh, and it, it was reckoned that uh, 
the state was being uh, saved 2.4 million uh, a year on the uh, uh, following the sorry I'm not making this very clear the the cost of running a youth zone is a million mm -hmm. and the benefit to the state is 2.4 million using antisocial behavior and enhanced employability in other words more youth employment yep. as a saving and that it's a six times return on the public sector uh, investment and uh, this is a real community effort and it's a fantastic opportunity for local businesses to make that commitment and see a result uh, and indeed uh, the improvements in youth employment are fantastic in, in uh, up to before covid anyway so it's all it's very much in the interest of business it's a wonderful wonderful model and the answer is focus and social impact yeah no, I, I certainly get that. And that is a drum that I'm beating a lot, as you know, John. I think focus, absolutely right. What are the biggest social issues in, a, say, a county? And um, the theory of change model comes to mind, right? Let's start with the vision of what we want the world to be. We want to get rid of youth knife crime. And yeah. then, you know, that'll take five years, 10 years, whatever, and work backwards. So it is then giving, I think, a cause that companies, communities, individuals can get behind because it is one of the biggest in their area it you know business has to care it really does because they're working in these areas they're recruiting from these areas they're selling into these areas you know if they don't help look after those areas they won't have a business environment to work in i think is, is it put it in in simple terms so you know I, I think it's fantastic i mean you're exceptionally passionate and articulate about what you say the examples you're giving i think gives us inspiration to us all that there is a different and better way and it may not be public sector led. Public sector knows what the problems are. Public sector has some reducing, but some funding to, to, to seed capital kickstart. But I think what you're saying, John, is the energy and the drive and the passion perhaps is coming from the grassroots, from the front line, no? That's, uh, that's absolutely right. Um, uh, but, but if you were to put yourself uh, in charge of a local business, uh, you would want to know that you were putting your uh, your funds into something that was established and sustainable. Yeah, yeah, it has to have the vision. Uh, but and that's where my uh, initiative, our common good, uh, which is which is a, a fund, a philanthropic fund, where we invest in local communities. We talk to people in the local communities. We agree uh, what the issues are and what it what might be possible if we were all to work. Together. I mean, this is the key thing. Uh, the, we're only going to make social progress, uh, as youth zones have done, by working together on a clearly defined sustainable project. And our Common Good Fund is putting in relatively modest amounts of money by talking to people on the ground, in the local communities, in the, with the local authorities, and with local businesses uh, to create something to address a specific issue. The, and we've done two in Oxfordshire as pilots, which are already starting to spread. Uh, one of them is tackling educational uh, inequality amongst uh, primary school children. Our aim is to make sure that every single child is ready to start school. Because if you're not ready, at the age of four, you're six months behind your, uh, your middle-class uh, peers 
And, you know, if that's not fixed, by the time you leave school at 16 or whenever, you're maybe four or five years. This is behind. That's really, really frightening. So in Oxfordshire, we brought together 10 uh, local uh, organisations from the uh, public sector and the not-for-profit sector, uh, all working together, all getting out of their silos uh, to deliver this this project aimed in this pilot at 800 uh, families to give them the best possible start. And already we're seeing that uh, uh, moving to Suffolk and there's interest also in the north, north uh, of England. Now at the moment, we don't have any corporate uh, interest in this particular project, but uh, I don't see why there shouldn't be. Mm. Indeed, so let's just sort of summarize. We've got the public, private, charity sector, not-for-profit, academic. Um, the public sector know where the problems are and have some seed capital, but, you know, don't perhaps necessarily have the, uh, they're, they're moving into commissioning rather than doing. The private sector has rebuilt its balance sheets over the last two years, uh, 10 years, and has got resources, doesn't have to be money, it might be project management skills, it might be volunteering hours, it might be the ability to lean on a printer to do some printing for free. Um, charities are at the front line, they know what the problems are, but need funding, they need those resources. And academia, John, I mean, do we have a role, you know, like you to play in acting as a catalyst to bring these together? Yes, there's a catalytic role, but there's another role. It's evaluation. Uh, it's measurement of impact. How can we be absolutely sure? Uh, we have our common good uh, has a partnership with the University of Oxford uh, in relation to the uh, growing minds. This is the, this is the early start. Uh, educational inequality program and that's absolutely fundamental um, I, I, I think that um, uh, government uh, needs to be able to see the impact and uh, and we have to find meaningful ways of measuring uh, what we're doing uh, because that can influence national policy um, but in uh, investors whether whether it's a, a philanthropist or whether it's a business company uh, they want the, the data yes. uh, and an evaluation. And I think that universities are very well placed to deliver that and be a key part of this, this new social impact um, uh, model, so to speak. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So, yeah, if, uh, what's that saying in business? If you can measure it, you can manage it. Um, you're talking really social return on investment. And, um, John, I don't know if you're aware, but or listeners to the University of Northampton, has for many years had an institute for social innovation and impact. And we also have a very established uh, methodology for impact measurements. And, um, you know, the university prides itself and has done since our current vice chancellor, Professor Nick Petford joined us in 2010 on a sort of um, social impact. Um, and especially as we're the only, you know, university in this county, of course. So our, you know, our influence and, and perspective uh, and energy can be brought to bear. So I do take your message on board and, um, well, in fact, you're coming to talk at an event for us. The Lord Lieutenant has a leaders forum on the 29th of April when John is one of two expert keynote speakers. Um, so if you want to hear more um, and you'd like to attend that uh, webinar event, please do write to me, Adrian, A-D-R-I-A-N dot Price, P-R-Y-C-E at Northampton dot A-C dot U-K. That's the 29th of April from 5.15 to 7 p.m. Um, Lord Lieutenant's Leaders Forum. It is an open event to anybody that's interested. And uh, the title of that is Co-Creating Value for the Common Good. 
co-creating value for the common good. And we already have about 150 people, leaders in business, civic and charity sectors in the town and county sort of signed up for what we hope will be hear more from John, but also a discussion and a debate to galvanize action. Now, John, having given my advert, um, I think you better tell us how people can find out a little bit more about you and your work. Yes, you can. If you go onto the website of Our Common Good, you should find everything you need to know. That is www.ourcommongood.org.uk www.ourcommongood.org.uk. And this right. is John uh, Nixon. So as I think um, listeners, you now understand why and, uh, I introduced him as a philanthropist, a campaigner, an activist, and of course, an author and a guest speaker. So uh, John will be um, speaking to us on the 29th of April from 5.15, along with uh, Dr. May Setanidi, who's another expert in this um, area. And we hope that we sort of get Northamptonshire rocking and rolling with perhaps a bit more focus and um, a little bit more collaborative working across the sectors. There's so much good stuff going on, John, you're right, both at a community and individual level and a business level. Sometimes I just wonder, are we harnessing it enough? And, and I think you've hit the nail on the head with the sort of um, the measurement, the social return on impact. You know, is it better to do A or B? Well, what's the biggest saving? What's the biggest benefit for the, for the society saving for the state? And how do we ensure that all of us live and work in a prosperous and uh, community and a prosperous business environment? John, a great pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing um, you know, your work, examples of your work, and uh, your passion comes shining through. And we look forward to hearing more on the 29th of April. Thank you, Adrian. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that interview. There are plenty more here on the podcast platform. And of course, you can always listen on uh, live on Tuesday evenings from 7 to 9 p.m. on NLive Radio 106.9 FM or digitally via nliveradio.com. Um, if you'd like to know more about the radio station, please do look at nliveradio.com. And um, we're always looking for support from the community and further afield. So if you'd like to support us, please go to nliveradio.com slash support us. So until next time, thank you very much again for listening.